0: There you go. Great. Okay. Good to see everyone this morning, and I do mean that in multiple senses. Uh, as we have lights this morning, it is glorious. Uh, let's pray together as we begin our class time. Father, thank you that we can come and we can continue to consider the uh, important subject of decision making and uh, the, the place of our conscience with respect to that. Uh, We pray that you'd give us wisdom in sorting through these matters this morning. We ask that you'd help us to understand what your word says, that we would be able to align our consciences according to it, properly uh, calibrating them, uh, helping us to care for others in the process of this. And we pray that you'd help us to make decisions that are honoring and pleasing to you, serving you in everything that we do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you uh, may have an outline from last week. We are picking up the second half of that. If you don't, then there are some in the back on either side. We're talking this morning about uh, conscience case studies. We're in our decision-making class on knowing and doing God's will, but we're talking about case studies of the conscience and just trying to think through a number of different uh, categories of types of what we would call conscience matters. And in this case, I do think they actually are rightly called conscience matters. Um, I've talked a few weeks ago about how some things that we call conscience matters are really just matters of opinion or judgment, not so much matters of what you are bound in your conscience to do, although it can seep over and spill over into that. Uh, But these are matters that have to do with the kinds of things that come up in passages on the conscience, 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 10, and then Romans 14. And uh, they are matters that we have to give careful attention to for a number of reasons. There are a lot of impacts that these can have upon our own Christian life, upon our ability to serve the Lord in evangelism, uh, upon the unity of the church and the love that we have for one another and the humility that we have toward one another and not judging and, and not uh, passing judgment on others. So we need to be careful about these things, uh, but it also helps to understand how they fit and uh, what kinds of things we're dealing with when we deal with conscience matters. Uh, last time we looked at the verse four out of the seven that are on your list And if you need those filled in, I'll just review those quickly. Uh, One category of conscience matter is having too many past rules too many past rules, and therefore your conscience is still hung up on those rules. And specifically, these are things that you thought were wrong before God or religiously, or in some way or another, You just your conscience uh, would have been bothered if you did them in previous times, and you still have not necessarily been able to say, well, now I know that this is not a problem, and I'm free to do it in my conscience. Um, some examples that I gave would have been things like um, the complete, uh, outlawing of alcohol, uh, using playing cards, uh, getting tattoos, women wearing pants, um, smoking of various kinds. Uh, Notice none of this is speaking to the wisdom of any of these matters or not in and of themselves or the degree to which you engage yourself in these practices. Uh, That is up to you to determine through a number of other factors. But it is the kind of thing that sometimes people will have that are uh, will state as Um, sinful, non-Christian, wrong, and you have to, uh, if you come from a place where those things are issues where you think that they're wrong, you have to work through those matters, at least in terms of not judging other people for them, and uh, also then yourself potentially working through it to where you yourself are free to participate in those things. Now, again, this is not saying because something was outlawed in your previous life or your previous understanding of the Christian life that you have to go and do that thing. That's not really the point. You may be someone who was once convinced that it was entirely wrong to smoke and then at the same time, you become a Christian. You realize there's no command in the Bible not to smoke. And yet you still say, well, for a number of reasons, I'm not going to do that. So there, there's nothing compelling you to do these things. It's just simply that you, re, uh, you realize that there's nothing in the Bible forbidding this directly, and you adjust your conscience accordingly. And not everyone has done, in fact, uh, maybe it's very few people, if anybody, who has fully exactly aligned their conscience to everything that the scripture says in these ways. But uh, there are still many hang-ups, and we just have to recognize those things. If we have those kinds of hang-ups, we need to be very careful, as Romans 14 instructs us, not to judge the one who does not have such hang-ups. And that if someone's doing something that is biblically permitted that we ourselves do not feel free to do, then we don't look at them with arrogance and we don't say this person is less godly or has fewer convictions than me and isn't concerned about uh, honoring God. Instead, we say that we both stand or fall before the Lord and we're not going to judge our brother or regard them with contempt. Uh, We looked also at the idea of a pendulum swing where... You, uh, you are involved in one particular type of thing that uh, has a lot of sinful practices involved. And so when you become a Christian or when you realize that that's not the way to go, then you swing all the way to the other side and you just adapt whatever else is the opposite of that. We consider the case of dating versus courtship and how... Many people having seen um, certain very real problems with with the way that dating is conducted in our culture and perhaps that you are directly involved in uh, decide that instead we need to go to what is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of the way that these things are practiced and that you must follow a particular type of practice such as courtship uh, even though that practice is not prescribed in the Bible. So we pendulum swing and then that becomes the right way to do things. We'll talk a little bit more about that. As far as certain things becoming the right way, the one particular way that is acceptable, even though Scripture has not uh, commanded that one particular way. Uh, Thirdly, association with former sin, association of something with former sin or with your former life Um, in 1 Corinthians 8. It was meat sacrificed to idols that the Corinthians couldn't shake the idea that this was connected with idolatry and therefore I just, I am wrong if I do it. I cannot eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols under any circumstance, even if I'm not involved in the ceremony, even if the meat comes somewhere else, even though this meat itself is not intrinsically wrong, I just can't do it with a clear conscience. And there are things that may be like that from your former life, Uh, pursuits, different kinds of entertainment and so on where you just, you can't do it. You just can't do it and we should be careful in not only making sure that if we can't do it that we don't do it but also we should be careful as 1 Corinthians 8 says about the fact that what we do in those areas uh, can tempt other people to follow their own uh, to follow our example and violate their own conscience in the process. So it's not that we completely and always abstain with no idea that anybody might have a problem with any of this and we never do anything at all. But it is that we carefully consider the impact of our own decisions in these areas that we feel that we have freedom uh, we, imp- we consider the impact of those decisions upon the possible actions and example that this may set for other people. And we're thoughtful about that. And we make sure that we consider the, the tender consciences of people who are not quite as free as we might be if we have freedom in that particular area. That's 1 Corinthians 8 that talks about that at length, verses 7 through 13. Um, and then the fourth thing that we considered last time is association with the world or sinful people and or false religions, things that are so connected with the world doing something wrong, or with a false religion doing something wrong, or with sinful people doing something wrong, that you say, I just, I know this thing in and of itself may not be wrong, but I just, I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, I just can't, I just can't. It's too connected, it's too tied up in this. Um, again, this is an area where you have to be careful because some type of association. Um, is not necessarily sinful, some type of being connected. like this thing happens during this season when this other sinful thing is happening. Um, and we need to make sure that we're careful not to, to make sure that, that excuse me, we're, we need to make sure we're careful not to connect those things and say that it is sin to do anything that may be connected in any way with that. But we also need to be aware that this is the case that sometimes people will have hangups with certain things like this, and we need to not judge one another for this. Uh, either judging someone for doing something that we perceive to be associated with something, or that if we think that we can do something that is associated, that we don't hold others with contempt who will not do the same. Uh, So association with the world, with sinful people, with false religions, uh, this is the fourth thing that we looked at last time. Any questions on any of these before we move on to the final three on your outline? Any questions about these? Questions, comments, observations on any of these conscience matter categories so far? Yes, Marvin. Yeah, See, uh, association with sin, uh, excuse me, with former sin or a former life. So with a sin that you used to commit or be caught up in, maybe even as a Christian or just with your former life before you were a Christian and you say, this is just the thing that I used to do when I wasn't a Christian, it must be wrong. You know, sometimes it, we, we hold on to that and say, well, that's the way, that's the thing that I was pursuing. You know, when I, when I was uh, not a Christian, I used to be all about this kind of thing, you know, uh, fast cars, for example, you know, and I would just go, and I was all about cars. So I just, it's just kind of, I, I, I can't go and buy a car that is fast anymore. You know, that may be a little bit of a silly example, but it is that kind of thing where it's like, that's just so connected with the life that I used to live. I just, I would feel wrong if I did it. And there may be a lot of wise reasons why we might not want to uh, pursue a path that we used to be very um, locked up in, but the Bible doesn't forbid us to buy fast cars. So uh, we need to distinguish those two things. Yeah. Okay. Yes, Brian. Yeah, what are the issues that you've heard uh, people have about that series? I have n- I've not watched it. I have seen some chatter, but, but I don't know the, the specific issues. So this is a, a movie series or a, a series on. It's, it's some kind of video series that yeah, video production is put together. Yeah, um, yeah. Some of the uh, okay. So like, if I was thinking through that and because um, I, yeah, I had to work through that on when the Passion of the Christ came out all these years ago. So there, there were. Um, what would the factors be in something like that? Well, first of all. Um, the place of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, and its sufficiency, its authority, and the fact that it is to be exalted above all other sources, and it is the judge of all other sources. So when this is put together, um, is this actually being done in a way that maintains that and that communicates that um, either explicitly or not only that, but also implicitly? Are there things that in writing a book or... um, Filling out a narrative where you're having to fill in white spaces or visually picture things that are written. Um, Is this, are you holding the authority of scripture up high? Uh, Scripture was written down. It was communicated in a written form. I think that it would not be too much to say that sometimes, well that when we, like none of us know exactly what the people in the Bible looked like. Uh, None of us know where they were standing when certain things were said as far as great detail, and yet we most likely imagine those things and picture them in our minds. So that in and of itself is personally, I wouldn't call it filling in details, but it is a matter where we are sort of, we're taking this information, but we are in a a sort of non-authoritative way. Uh, starting to make ourselves, you know, picture what's going on. Here's where this would have looked like. Here's, uh, you know, this many people here. Or, but we're not going to hold to that with as authoritative of a statement as, you know, Jesus was here and Peter was here and Jesus said this and Peter said this. So we, we try to, to put them in a particular setting the best that we can. And um, the fact that Scripture is written and that those details are not given and yet we're supposed to understand a certain setting, uh, I think that that at least implies that that would be permitted one of the challenges with a video is that those things are now inserted into our mind, and that's the, way that, that's the way that we see it. And so I think that can be a little bit more difficult. And it may be, in, in my view, that it could be at least a matter of choosing whether or not you want to let someone else's interpretation of those things dictate that. Uh, beyond that, it can be difficult to sort out what is actually the biblical picture of this and what is not what information that's going on in a film or a narrative of this kind can be sort of what is actually coming from the Bible and what is it that what details are they filling in because you have to have these things filled in or else you cannot portray it visually and we have to be very discerning about that as well to make sure that we can actually sort those things out. Uh, As far as that goes then uh, I can't say that I would would say this is wrong to try to portray those details visually, uh, you have matters of where someone who's making a film or someone who's, uh, well, yeah, someone who's making a film in particular would have an obligation before God themselves to have every intention and make every effort to actually represent faithfully what's going on and to try not to confuse the issue. Uh, I think that is inherently a little bit more difficult in a video format than, say, a written format. Because in writing, you just leave it as the scripture says and you don't fill it in. Although, many times people find ways to do that in little children's Bibles and other things, too. Uh, And they find ways to add to the text in terms of interpretation that's mistaken. So that would be another factor. Uh, we're told in 2 Timothy 2 to make sure that we get the scripture right. We're told to make sure that we are uh, approved by God as workers who don't need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So that should be of high concern for us. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I, even I can't say that in any way, and I'm not trying to say that it is, but I, I certainly cannot say that it would be wrong to make or to, to watch a film like that, a video like that. But at the same time, you would want to make sure as a matter of wisdom that you know, well, really not even so much just wisdom, but that you know what the truth of God is. And underneath this, you need to know what does the scripture say and what does the scripture not say. So in something like that, it would be pretty important to come into something like this and say, not only, okay, if I'm going to watch this thing, I want to know what's actually in the Bible, whether before or whether somebody sees it. And then you say, but now that you've seen this, you need to know what the book actually says. Uh, or else you're in danger of getting distorted and raising things up that people are not actually uh, getting from the Bible to the level of what's in the Bible. So to me, it would be a matter of uh, discerning and understanding what is actually biblical and what is not, and knowing those, those facts, knowing that content. Uh, that would be the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah. Are, are there other issues with that that you or anybody else has heard mention, concerns about such a series like that? Yes, yeah, Steve. Yeah, so involvement of, of people who don't actually believe the Bible. That would be something to be on high alert for. I mean, the, the issue with any of, the, of these things at the end of the day is do they actually communicate the truth of God accurately or not? And, and do we understand the truth of God accurately or not? You can listen to, um, you can read a book that's 95% accurate and still benefit quite a lot from that if you can discern truth from error. So there's, I don't think there are any books that I've ever recommended that I know for a fact I would think is 100% biblically accurate. Hopefully so. Maybe, maybe a few have hit that mark. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't read a book just because some things in there are inaccurate, but you do have to be discerning. So I think it would be the same thing with something like this. But there are additional matters. Again, I think there are matters of wisdom. I I never personally saw the Passion of the Christ movie because one of the main reasons was I I didn't want that to be the exact image of what I understood was the way that things were. I, I just preferred to kind of have, not that my own vision is superior to, you know, a professional filmmaker, but... Uh, I just did not want that to be like locked in and emblazoned as to kind of how I perceive the ac- the actions, the uh, the events of, um, of the crucifixion. And so I made the decision at that time. And I, again, I, I don't feel particularly strongly like I can't do that or couldn't do that. I just chose not to and have never gotten back to doing that since then. And don't feel that it's necessary to understand, uh, although I, there also can be benefit in knowing the great, uh, you know, the... Awfulness of crucifixion and what Jesus went through, so there are some benefits on both sides, uh, but it is a matter of wisdom there in in that but there are there are matters of biblical interpretation that are not wisdom matters it is okay this is wrong and this is right, and hopefully you 'd be able to come out of a watching something like that and say, well, they said this, that's not in the text. They said this, that is in the text. And also this thing they added that's not in the text implies something about what is in the text. And that's also wrong as well. And they're misinterpreting the way this was here. So at the end of the day, you have to just go back and know the biblical text. Um, As far as it goes, though, I'd have a hard time saying that it's wrong to watch something like that. I, I just don't think you can do it. But you most certainly have to be discerning in anything like that. Other questions on that? Yes. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, I think just, I mean, you watch that under these two, that no are not Christian. hmm Yeah, and, and I would even say too on the uh, other people being involved, other religions, so on. A lot of play, a lot of times that does lead to disaster, and um, that is something that should maybe get your ears perked up. But even Jesus told you know told the people that what the Pharisees you know that they they've put themselves in the seat of Moses, so whatever they tell you, do it, but don't follow what they do. You can recognize that even some degree of accurate biblical instruction and interpretation can come from the most hostile. Uh, opponents of christ it's an amazing thing that that's the case and we don't rejoice in that but he said look these people are against me but there's some stuff they tell you to do that you should do they get some stuff right they get the heart of it wrong and the foundation of it wrong because they reject me and they're self-righteous so they're going to have all kinds of problems and you're going to be the blind following the blind if you go after them in their example but sometimes there's things that they hit right So just having Mormon involvement or whatever is not an automatically a game changer. But again, you might say this is just all this. This is more than I want to deal with. Let me just read the Bible. You know, instead of sitting down and watching this thing for a few hours, I'm just going to sit down and read the Bible. And that would not be wrong either. And in many cases, that may be a wiser thing to do. But it's not necessarily the choice that you have to make. We could extrapolate that and say we should never do anything except read the Bible, and never take any source in except read the Bible. Uh, I don't know that that's where we want to go. As uh, wonderful as that would be, yeah. Okay, all right. Let's uh, let's look at these last three. So we have um, letter E: common practices in your church or Christian circles. Common practices in your church. Or in your Christian circles. These are things that people feel strongly about as best practices, sometimes based upon theology, sometimes based upon a certain application of theology, um, but for whatever reason, they have come to kind of be the collective conviction of your church or your Christian circle uh, in general. And the fact that these convictions are there can give them a weight in your conscience that kind of nags at you if you don't do them. Uh, Maybe you're thinking of something as I say those things. Is there anything that comes to mind that fits that category that you might see in our own church or in the uh, maybe Christian circles you run in, maybe the the group of blogs or social media personalities you follow or whatever. Stephen. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so singing, uh, so only a cappella and even only the psalms. Yeah, so no instruments and then even psalms only. Yeah, so that's, uh, that can be, that's. Um, it's not insanely common, but there are enough people out there where there are plenty doing that, yeah. Now, that one, I might categorize that a little different, to be honest with you, because I think that's uh, more of a, like they think that actually is a biblical conviction sometimes, I, I don't know. Some of them, it, it would be because they think it's a biblical interpretation issue. Correct me if I'm wrong. But um, especially like it's in the Old Testament, they had instruments prescribed. But the New Testament, it's not there. And the approach to Scripture is if it's not explicitly stated in the New Testament, then the church must not do it, basically. Uh, so it would be a very strict application of a regulative principle. And so there are no instruments. Therefore, okay, we're, we're not allowed to do instruments in the church. Is that Fair to, on some of those, yeah, so um, the psalms that might be a little bit different, that would be more because it 's the only inspired um, the only inspired songs. Uh, again, I would make the case against that because psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in Ephesians five and Colossians three, I know that um, they might say that those are the same thing, but i, I don 't agree. Uh, but yeah that would in some cases it might be a little bit more of a theological conviction but it is something where when people are doing this this is where the, I would confirm that it, or affirm that it fits into this category in this way that that you have a lot of people doing it and you're like man I, should I be you know should I not have instruments should I not have the psalms or anything but the psalms and you feel this pressure because other people are doing it yeah so good example what else yeah just go. Yeah, so, yeah, women in the home and working. So, in other words, the interpretation is uh, Titus 2, that where it says workers at home, that actually means workers only at home. Yeah. 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 Yeah, younger word was get married, keep house. And, uh, yeah, and so you might not even, yeah, so that, yes, uh, women working uh, outside the home, at all might be wrong or maybe while their kids are i don't know that's where you have to actually kind of okay but at what age you know or when they leave or maybe when they're old enough to drive or to get a job of their own or maybe when they go to school and that's not necessarily clearly defined but there is this kind of like implicit like unstated sort of vague they should just never work outside the home but maybe it's okay when certain something happens some criteria happens uh but yes, that idea of not working outside the home at all. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good example. Yeah, what else? I saw a hand over here. Oh, yeah, Daniel. Daniel, then Kelly. Mm-hmm. You have to go to the conference, or else you're less spiritual. Yeah, yeah, because everybody else is going. Yeah, good example. Yeah, Kelly, homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and and so, so homeschool. Yeah, you are. And if you're not homeschooling, the thinking might go then. I mean, I know it's not wrong, but you really are not doing the best thing for your kid. So it's not that it's wrong. You're just not doing the best. Uh, And therefore, then it becomes wrong not to do that. Or because it's the best, as the opinion goes, therefore, it's wrong not to give them the best. Or it's wrong uh, in some other way. Yeah. Good example. Yeah, Tracy. Sometimes I do. Yeah. this does, especially have the same over Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, there's, uh, right. So if your church practice just does this over and over again, so the, the order of service or the liturgy of the church, like that kind of thing, or this becomes the right way to do it, especially when, you know, we adopted or just kind of carried over a lot of practices from our sending church, you know, uh, having multiple people pray, having uh, having men from the church who are, not, um, who are not pastors pray, you know, that's maybe not a very common practice in a lot of churches. So it's like this has to be done. And, uh, you know, for a while we even... Like the uh, the way that our that Grace our sending church would do those prayers is they would have a microphone up front for everybody except for those men, And the 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 men who prayed who were not pastors in the church were they would pray in the back. Am I remembering this right? It, it, yeah. And so like, when we started, I think we we kind of had like a separate thing off to the side, like where the men who were praying, like maybe at the Clayton, and they would be down below. But then some of the people who were pastors would come up front and pray. Um, Something like that. I feel like we kind of continued something along those lines, like as if that itself is the practice that you should have because of some kind of being um, not in front. I don't know exactly why. We probably have to revisit why that was the case. But anyway, it can, it can get to the point where, no, you have to do this in this kind of way. Yeah. So a good example. Yes, Kaylee. Yeah. Yeah. Particular political party. Yep. I think so, Uh, and I would say that it is very easy for, you know, you you show up to, I don't know, maybe you guys are pretty new here, so maybe you've experienced this, where somebody kind of just talks to you and assumes, well, of course you vote this way. Well, of course you think this way about uh, one person or another, and not only that, but maybe, of course, you care to this extent, although that might be less common. But yeah, of course you're going to be part of this particular political party. Yeah. Other examples? Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, standing while you read the word. Yeah, that's right because they they do that at at Grace at our sending church and so yeah, it's like it's out of respect for God's word that they do that right, like stand for the reading of God's word. But that doesn't mean you don't respect God's word if you if you have a practice in your church of not standing for the scripture to be read. But so that's a great that's a great example of that because yeah, it is a way that you can do that, but it's not the only way to do it. And if you don't do it that particular way, it doesn't mean that you don't have the same type of respect. It's just an action where you're exercising that. Yeah. Yeah, Phil. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Yep. Just because you stand doesn't mean you have that respect. That's true. What about uh, devotional practices? Devotional practices? Uh, You got to get up in the morning and do your devotions. Anybody feel guilt about that, about not doing their devotions before they do anything else in the morning? Okay. I mean, you know, this is not confession time, but I suspect a lot of you do. Now, please don't hear me saying that this is not something that you should be trying to do in terms of... Meditating on the scriptures, getting the scripture in your head, being exposed to the scripture, and I think it's a very, very good practice to be reading through the Bible, or to be reading a section of scripture, or to be taking advantage of the fact that you have the scripture available to you in your own home, or in your own pocket, or wherever you might want to take it. Uh, if we neglect that, especially with lots of other well, lots of time to do that, and lots of other things that we distractions we could choose to set aside, then that's that's going to cause problems. So please don't hear me saying that devotions are not important. Please don't hear me saying that uh, it's not helpful to do them to make sure that they get done. You know, that's one of the benefits of doing things in the morning that before you do other things is that you, um, you can do them and make sure they actually get done before the busyness of the day can take things and overwhelm you. Um, it also is perhaps uh, something that can set the day for you. It can help you to do that and enter the day with a mindset of thinking biblically about things as opposed to maybe just getting caught up in whatever happens. So there's a lot of potential wisdom in trying to uh, have a devotional time that is in the morning, first thing. But if you have a hard time doing that for whatever reason, or if you've made the determination that there's something else that you would rather do as far as the, the best way to make sure that you're praying without ceasing and that you're meditating on the law of the Lord day and night, if you have a better instrument, uh, instrumental way to do that, for your own self, you, you need not feel convicted in your conscience that you're doing something wrong. So just don't use that as as an excuse for laziness or neglect of the means of grace that God gives, but make sure that you don't hold yourself to that particular standard. Uh, I would also even say something along the lines of family devotions, family devotions, which are just a wonderful thing to be able to do when you can come together as a family and you can open up the word of God and you can talk about it you can pray, you can sing, whatever that might be, but there's no prescription in the Bible to have that particular order of service going on in your home there are instructions in Scripture for parents to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There are instructions to talk about the Bible all the time with your kids. But it's it's uh, uh, often the informal times as well that's going on in this. That you're doing this as you sit down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way. Um, so a both and. But, you know, if you... Only have family devotions a certain number of times, or if it looks different for you and your family, or if you don't have a family and thereby cannot fulfill that command, then you're not violating a command of Scripture. Again, don't use this as an excuse for laziness and say, "Well, we just kind of talk about the Bible whenever it happens to come up." Uh, I would argue for the best choice in almost every case being some form of intentionality uh, and and uh, promotion of this by the parents, not just you know whatever happens. But be careful that you don't make family devotions as such, especially with a particular order and length of time and number of days that you must do it. Make sure that you don't uh, turn that into a command that goes above and beyond Scripture that you think other people should follow or that you must follow or else you're doing something sinful in and of itself. So those are a couple of things. Um, We've talked earlier about dating practices. Anything with regard to that? Like pursuing relationships that comes to mind? nothing afraid to say okay something like this might be and again I know that this could be dangerous to do this because it could lead to willy-nilly things but uh, I don't personally see a command in the Bible that requires a man to ask a parent for permission before dating in part because I don't see a command in the Bible for dating at all either way um But also because I just don't see the actual thing there. So when you put dating in a category, before I get to know this person or before I enter into a relationship with this person in some way, well, that particular relationship, a uh, dating relationship as such, is not really actually in the Bible at all anyway. Um, And we have to exercise wisdom as to how how we go about that. Now look, okay, if you're a young man out there and you know that this person has a a father that wants you to do this then you'd probably be pretty foolish not to do that and there's reasons why they would want to be involved but uh, I just want to say that's an area where I don't think that that necessarily is the case that that's prescribed and uh, I think we need to be careful about that so that would just be another example is that that make sense yeah, you might disagree with me on that. I'd be, I would be open to hearing the biblical case for it, but that's just something that I think is when we talk about these relational kinds of things, um, that can be something that, that comes up a lot. Yeah, Andrew. Mhm. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say in every case that that's something that you have to do. First of all. The, not every, there's not always a parent around. Secondly, you have matters of uh, different views on marriage. And, and it may be the case that um, the other party, like the potential future in-law would have a very unbiblical view of marriage, would want to, um, would want to hold it off for, you know, maybe an unreasonable reason or an unreasonable amount of time. Uh, I would probably try to accommodate that in a lot of cases, but uh, there would be maybe times when you would not wait for permission before doing something like that. Um, There is, I mean, you're you're working through all kinds of matters here with uh, how much of this was a biblical practice or how much was this a cultural practice in terms of a uh, husband or a a woman being, when does a woman cease to be under the authority of her father? Um, What does that look like? Um, It does seem to lean that way more, biblically speaking, and yet, I don't know that it's so cut and dried as if this is the, you know, they're the only ones under the authority of their parents and that there is uh, some requirement of, of asking for that. Um, I think it's probably a best practice to do that in almost every case. And I think especially even in our culture today with, with all of the things that uh, have, have changed about marriage, the custom is still there for that. So like asking a, asking a father for a, a potential bride's hand in marriage is just like, Really, why would you not do that? You know that that's the level that it's at for me. And uh, but there there are times when it would not be wrong not to do that or to go against their wishes anyway. I think there are times for that, knowing that it would cause a lot of difficulties. But let's you know, let's say that their daughter's a Christian and you're a Christian, but they're some other religion and they just don't want you to. They don't want to give their hand in marriage, right? It's just that simple. Like you're never going to marry somebody who's a Christian, and you're like, well, okay, but we're going to do it anyway. Now again, that doesn't mean you're doing that right off. That might be there might be a lot of things to work through, maybe years of working through stuff. I don't know, but I can't just say in every case that you must do this because it is the God-given principle that a man has authority over his daughter until he grants otherwise. So just think. I just want to be careful not to leave it to that particular extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? You throw tomatoes at me. Yeah, Brian. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe so with regard to wisdom issues. Well, I do, and that actually, that gives me the opportunity to move over into the next one, which is judgment calls. Uh, And this this kind of moves towards some just pure wisdom decisions, uh, but it does kind of hang on to a little bit of the conscience nature of this. But yeah, letter F is judgment calls on this. So distinguishing the biblical principle from the judgment call about what is actually a violation of that principle, which one is actually, what is the, uh, so there are biblical principles we can say, this is absolutely wrong. And then there's sometimes where you say, well, yeah, this is wrong, but some people think that this is an instance of that wrong thing and other people don't. Um, So yeah, this, uh, let's see. Sorry, I got carried away in my train of thought, and I have to admit, I don't remember what's the particular subject that you were talking about again. Yeah, the dating apps. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, dating apps. Well, I mean, again, what are, okay. I, yeah, I think generally speaking, you're talking about um, what, are, with, in the absence of a biblical command, what are some of the principles involved in using dating apps? Um, Well, what are the principles in pursuing marriage that you want to consider? Or, Okay, first of all, you're using a dating app. Is this a pursuing marriage app or is it a dating app for the sake of dating without regard to how that impacts marriage? Uh, There's nothing necessarily wrong about getting to know somebody without, you know, trying to, okay, we are committing to marriage. Or, you know, as soon as we go on this first date, we're going on marriage. We're going to be married. It's okay to get to know people, but dating, the way that it's done in our modern era is really just so casual in terms of commitment levels and intentionality and so serious in terms of other things, physical involvement and other stuff that just should uh, be reserved for marriage, that uh, a lot of times the use of these things can tend toward that and can promote that. Now, it's not an app necessarily that's limited to that, but just keeping that in mind so first of all, you have to say, what am I after by seeking out these relationships in the first place and seeking these interactions with, meeting with people. Um, you also have to take into account what is the place of, uh, you know, how well can you know someone through, uh, through a text interaction, through, a, um, through any kind of digital interaction? Do you really know them the way that you want to know them? Um, do you trust them when you meet them in that way? Are they accurately representing themselves? You also have uh, the same thing uh, that's a challenge with any kind of distance relationship where you don't necessarily know them as well in their character, even if you know them in person. And this can be the case um, even in in-person kind of relationships where you meet someone and, you know, they're one person around you, but are they the same person when they're when you're not around or when they're in a more comfortable environment, the people that really know them? So you have to maybe do some extra due diligence on that front. Um, so yeah those would be a few of the factors involved in that as well. Um, I think it it is just a reality of our modern age that people uh, people will and people do uh, meet in this way, and they you know in addition to that, but also this can this can turn out very well you know there can be some advantages to that, but uh yeah, just knowing what the the dangers and benefits are, something of a judgment call, personal application of wisdom, yeah. Um, Let me give you an example of something as well, like a judgment call would be um, uh, dressing modestly. Dressing modestly. Someone walks in and they're wearing a certain kind of clothing and you say, you know, that's not modest. Well, it might be, it might not be. But you have to nail down what the principles, the biblical precepts and principles for modesty are. Um, What are the biblical warnings on modesty? What is the heart of someone who is immodest? Can you be modest, or can you be immodest with modest, quote unquote, modest clothing? I would argue you can. Uh, You can be someone who is maybe not perceived as being immodest because your clothing kind of fits the category, but you are very eager to show off yourself to other people to try to draw attention. Largely, in the the uh, just to give a quick. Summary of how I would describe it, biblically speaking, you have um, modesty has to do with trying to draw attention to yourself and trying to be perceived well by other people. First Timothy two talks about that. You know, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses is the way First Peter three describes it. It's, it's people who are, they're concerned only about the outside and they want people to look to them, and they're not they're not humble. They want attention, and the things that they do are meant to draw that rather than being humble. Um, we often maybe kind of miss that particular component and move it over into more of an issue of sensuality, um, lustfulness, and things like that. But that also is there biblically. It's not necessarily, though, always in the New Testament categories of modesty. So you have to go elsewhere in the Bible to also talk about that. You read in Proverbs 5 and 6 and 7 about how you have, uh, you have the, uh, the, the ungodly woman who is trying to draw in other people. So you have that as well. And then you even just have the wisdom matter that would come up of saying, hey, you know, in in the garden, when they knew that they were naked, they uh, they clothed themselves. And then God did that too. And it seems like our culture doesn't really even understand that concept to, to that degree. They don't even understand the, the appropriate stigma and shamefulness of not being dressed or at least not being dressed, you know, enough to where you're not functionally uh, without clothing. So... Those are some of the factors involved. And then you, but then, even then, you have to say, there is some degree of judgment call, and people have different standards, and people have different interpretations of what modesty actually is. And you just have to be very careful. Again, there are extreme ends of the spectrum where it's very obvious one way or another. But some of these things are judgment calls. And because some of these things are judgment calls, it can be helpful for people to help other people in these decisions, not by coming up to them and just saying, you know, you're wearing that. Okay, in some cases it's pretty obvious, but uh, you, you are doing this. You know, you're just being immodest. Well, maybe they have a, they're trying not to be, but they have a different application of that. And they need to see um, some other information. And they need to understand, well, you may think you are, but here's why this is a problem. And they need someone to come alongside them and help them out. Another thing as far as judgment uh, judgment calls might be storing up treasure on earth. You know, Jesus says, don't store up treasure on earth, store it up in heaven. Well, how much money gets you across that threshold of storing up treasure on earth? If you have a certain amount in the bank account, if you own more than one property, if you have a certain number of vehicles, or if your vehicle is, you know, a certain... Value, what is the standard? But we take our own personal standard and say, well, for me, storing up treasure on earth would probably look like this. And then when someone else does more than that, oh, you know, I think they're just really worldly. I think they're just too focused on the world. I think they're too focused on riches I'm really worried about that. Now, nothing prevents you from talking to such a person and saying, hey, I see these things. Tell me about this. Nothing prevents that at all but we should reserve judgment on their judgment call until we actually know why they're doing that. So all kinds of stuff like that. Dietary choices, how much money you can borrow, um, and uh, like children, number of children, all kinds of stuff like that, okay? They're all biblical principles as far as motivations involved in, in a lot of these things. But the way that people make the call to apply the biblical principle, to obey the biblical principle, is important. Understanding that there will be differences about that, and that should influence the way that we talk with one another about it, rather than assuming that they don't care about that biblical principle because they apply it differently than we do. uh, We need to make sure our default assumption is innocent until proven guilty. But we talk to them if we have a concern. Okay, Um, and then personal application Of wisdom. This is the final one. Personal application of wisdom. Personal application of wisdom. Um, An example would be something like entertainment choices. Entertainment choices. A few factors that are involved in this. Um, What do you love? What is your greatest love? Are you cultivating or expressing a love for something that is above a love for God? Like, do you really love this more? some uh, another factor would be uh is being um is observing something and being entertained by something on the whole an endorsement of everything that is done in that um in that event in that show in that story i would say that it's not but we should when we see sin be provoked by it it should cause us trouble and there may reach a point in many things where you just say i just can't take it like it's just it's not. I can't do it. We, we watch things or we observe things all the time where people are sinning. Um, it doesn't mean that we should enjoy that. And in fact, we should be provoked by any kind of sin that people are doing. Um, what effect does your entertainment have on the things that you want? Are you envious of certain things because of that? Uh, does it cause you to be greedy? Does it cause you to be discontent with what you have? Uh, does this keep you from fulfilling your responsibilities? You know, I just need to sit down and watch my show. Well, yeah, but should you maybe um, make sure that you're working enough? You know, do you want to make sure that you're actually caring for your, your children or that you're spending time in prayer? How does this affect the way you handle your responsibilities? Are they impacting your ability to meditate upon God's word because you can't think about anything but whatever you're being entertained by? How do they affect your mind renewal? Are, are they subtly influencing you to actually think more according to the terms of the way that this entertainment is wanting you to think, or just implicitly making you think, or are you actually able to firmly stand with divine truth and to filter all of that out? Be honest with yourself about that. Does uh, does your entertainment impact your ability and your readiness to speak words of truth to other Christians? Or are the things on your mind just your entertainment choices? All you want to talk about is that because that's what's on your mind. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you have the opportunity to come to church and to consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, are you considering how to do that outside of church? Or do you show up and say, you know, I wish that I had thought about something when I wasn't here, but I guess I just spent all week dwelling on what was happening in season one of whatever that show was so just think about how these things affect your ability to do the responsibilities and other things you have before god that's just one example personally applying wisdom Um, i'm sure that there are others but we are out of time so uh, we should close and when we come back next week we will talk more about some some of these some of the big decisions. This will be what we'll try to wrap up on, big decisions, how to think through principles, um, commands, wisdom, information, all the stuff we talked about so far. But as regards things like buying a house, moving somewhere, big purchases. Um, big uh, decisions that we kind of make, that we, that we commonly make, um, pursuing marriage, how to decide when to get married and to who, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm sure that we'll have plenty to talk about. If you have questions, uh, find me afterward or during the week, but I'm going to pray for us as we close. Father, thank you for this time we've been able to spend this morning. We, may it be used profitably by us to think about how we should uh, understand what is right and wrong. For us to do and even what is best, we ask that you'd help us to have wisdom in in every step of the way in making all these decisions and that we would let the governing principles of your word be what drives us in every way. Loving you, loving our neighbor as ourselves, seeking opportunity for the gospel, um, not being enslaved by things, everything that you've laid out. We pray that you'd help us to have wisdom in that and we pray that you would strengthen us as a church through all that we've learned. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.